Proverbs chapter 17. Last time we were together, we ended on verse 22, if you remember. Good verse. Mary Hart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries bones. So y'all remember that. Um, we'll continue in that today. We're going to pick it up in verse 23. I'm going to read down through the end of the, the, the chapter, go into 18 a little bit, and then I'll come back and we'll dive in. Y'all ready? All right. Verse 23, a wicked man accepts a bribe behind the back to pervert the ways of justice. Wisdom is in the sight of him who has understanding, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. Also to punish the righteous is not good, nor to strike princes for their uprightness. He who has knowledge spares his words and a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace, but he, when he shuts his lips, he is considered perspective or perceptive, excuse me. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire and rages against all wise judgment. A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. And so, Father, we do thank you this morning, Lord, for the text that you've put before us. I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear what you would say this morning. Lord, I pray you would remove everything that would hinder and the cares of this life, the burdens of this world, the things that, uh, Lord, we are focused on that distract us Lord I pray even that you would remove distractions from this room that we would be able to clearly hear what you would have to say Lord I pray that you would take this time this moment this hour as your own to grab our attention to pour into us to strengthen us to correct us Lord God to continue to conform us to your image Lord we love you we thank you we surrender to this in Jesus name amen amen and so as we dive in, in verse 23, a wicked man accepts a bride behind the back. Notice the purpose in doing so is to pervert the ways of justice because the wicked man obviously is consumed with self and uh, self-ambition and is willing even to pervert the ways of justice in order to get to that end, meaning that he would put his selfish ambitions, his own desires above that which is righteous or above that which would be good for his or her neighbor. We understand what a bribe is. A bribe is getting paid off to do something that is going to benefit someone else, um, you know, just for the sake of material gain. And so, um, you know, bribes are, according to some studies, on the increase. But the more I dove into it, um, what I began to find out is that most, you know, law enforcement agencies are actually admitting that the, one of the reasons for the increase in corruption within our, our country, whether it's political or anywhere you can imagine, is because they're now having some more resources in which to investigate other things. In other words, there is way more corruption than we could even imagine. It's just they don't have the time and the resources to actually go after it all. So they have to prioritize what they're going to investigate and prosecute, which, which means that even as there is an increase in prosecutions for bribes and corruption, it's way out of hand more than we could even imagine. And of course, when you see a wealthy politician who wasn't wealthy before they went in, you know there's corruption. For the most part, it, you know, you don't, the salaries for politicians is not that much. I mean, even the president only 
I mean, there are people in this room that make more than what the president makes um, when you think about it from a salary perspective. Um, so there's obviously some corruption going on uh, when we think about that. But that's what this is. Wicked men do these things because they don't know him and their heart is not surrendered to him. If you remember back in, in chapter 16, uh, if you just glance back really quick, Proverbs 16 verse 11 says, honest weights and scales are the Lord's. Um, all the weights in the bag are his. And the next verse, verse 12 said, it is an abomination for kings to commit wickedness for um, a throne is established in righteousness. And what we, what we realize as believers, because that's what we're focused on, is, is those who are born again, those who have the spirit of God in them, those who, uh, if you will, want to live according to and receive their instruction from the word of God. What we realize is that that verse says that God establishes every, every position, every king, every prime minister, every senator, every governor, um, every mayor, um, every police officer, every postal worker, every mechanic, every, every, everybody, where, wherever you are and whatever you do, every school teacher, every nurse in the ICU unit, as a believer, we realize at least that our position in life is established by the Lord. Amen. And because it's established by him and because we, we, we uh, belong to him and he purchased us with the price of his own blood, then we conduct ourselves according to the way um, he would have us to. And our desire is not to be wicked, but to be righteous. Amen. And if that's our desire, then we have to be people who, who go against the grain. That's why we become salt. Salt's worth something. Salt heals something. That's why we become light, as Jesus says, salt of the earth, light of the world, because we go against the grain of where humanity is going, and we actually try to practice righteousness in the position that he's placed us in as husband, as wife, as child, uh, 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 you know, having parents over you or whatever your position is. It doesn't even matter if you like the position you're in or not. If you recognize that you're in the place that God has placed you, well, then we have a responsibility. And this is, this is Solomon, if you remember, reaching out to his kids, um, trying to uh, uh, ensure that they gain wisdom and understanding and how to live life. In fact, all the way back in chapter 1, verse 1, that was the purpose. Verse 2 of chapter 1 is to gain wisdom, to gain understanding for life. And so those of us who are born again, we recognize these things because it's the wicked one who perverts justice by taking a bribe. And the interesting thing is, listen, the Bible consistently <clears throat> tells us, and Paul puts it really good in First uh, and Second Timothy, but in, you know, when he says that in the last days, perilous times would come. Y'all remember that? Because people will be lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God, desiring pleasure, and the earth would become more and more and more and more wicked. And this is the direction that the world is obviously going in even now. We know that. In fact, the interesting thing is God is going to judge this world. We know that too. Amen. His plan is to judge this world. His desire is to save souls prior to that coming. But it's God who actually understands what condition society is ever in. Like God can look at the earth and determine where it is on a moral stage, on a moral standpoint. We see that biblically because it was God who said, hey, I'm done. Back in Genesis, I'm going to, I'm going to judge the world with the flood. Y'all know that, right? And Noah preached for 120 years and then God brought judgment. And see, God gets a bad rap from those who reject his truth. 
They want to paint him as being an angry God who just wants to bring judgment and wrath. But the reality is, is when you look into the text, you find out that he is most merciful and loving and gracious, allowing 120 years to pass before he finally brought the judgment in. Noah preaching for 120 years and no one turning to him. And then after the flood, they all knew that God had judged the world through a flood, yet they persisted to build a tower in defiance of him once again because humanity in a fallen state, man, is sinful, but God is merciful and God is loving. And there's a judgment that is coming. And God understands when it's done, when time is up, when there's no way for him to redeem any more in the current condition that the earth is, is in. See, that's where the earth is headed now. It's headed in a direction where it's going to get so bad, so wicked, that the only way to redeem more is to put everyone into a tribulation. <laughs> and then they'll begin to turn. But this is the reality. So wicked men accept bribes behind the back and pervert the way of justice. That's the things that we see in humanity. Humanity is wicked. And, and, and listen, we were that way. Remember, we used to be that way. We walked according to the, the, the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the, who now works in the sons of disobedience. We were that way, but God quickened us. He made us alive. He saved us by his grace, and we've become born again. Amen. And so now only through the spirit of God that dwells in us are we living differently. Are we going against the course of this world now, which is why the world hates us. And I guarantee you persecution is coming even more. And I don't want to get into that. I, I just talked with someone this past week who lost their job because of their faith. And so these are things we understand. So the world is wicked, but we are the redeemed. So we can't reflect that wickedness in our lives. We have to walk with the holy and just and righteous God, and he guides us through that. But I'll come back to that thought. Verse 24, y'all with me? Verse 24 is a beautiful verse. It says, wisdom is in the sight of him who has understanding, but in contrast, the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. And so really there's a contrast here actually in, uh, in, in fact of the one who, who has wisdom and understanding you know, wisdom is right in his sight. We'll come back to that thought in a minute. Whereas the fool is looking to the ends of the earth, and I'll explain that. But the first thing I want you to consider is the, the, the meaning of wisdom, the meaning of understanding. We touched on it in the early chapters. But check it out. This word wisdom, if you're looking at it in the Hebrew, which I encourage you to do, it's this word hakma. I can't pronounce it right because you've got to get this like, like you're hacking something up, K sound in the beginning of it, and I don't do well with that. But hakma, and it, it means skill. Like skill in war or skill in administration, uh, a shrewdness or prudence in uh, religious affairs or, 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 or ethnical things. Um, and, and so what wisdom me here really means is wisdom is a skill. Listen, wisdom is a skill learned or knowledge gained through the practice of something. Does that make sense? Does that make sense so far? Y'all know what it is. Like, whatever you do, the more you do it, the more you practice, like, muscle memory. You're like, you begin to gain understanding and knowledge of things as you do it. That's under, that's, so I want you to keep that thought. Understanding here is a compound word uh, made up of two Hebrew words. The first one 
uh, polyneme, it, it means to face or uh, it means presence or the adverb means, you know, it means actually before, or behind or towards or with preparation. So in other words, it's uh, literally a positioning. The second Hebrew word that makes up this compound word means to discern or to consider or to show oneself attentive or diligent. So understanding, listen, is positioning oneself in such a way as to learn to observe, and to acquire knowledge that can be used to make wise choices. And it takes humility and patience to do this. And you remember back up in uh, the same chapter of Proverbs, verse 16, 17, 16, look up really quick at verse 16 where it says, why is there in the hand of a fool the purchase price for wisdom since he has no heart for it? Y'all see that? Yeah, it's an interesting verse because the fool, look, the fool desires to get wisdom but is unwilling or doesn't have the heart to actually obtain it. It's like someone, listen, paying for a college degree but also paying someone to do the work for them. All right, so they, they'll, they'll end up with a piece of paper but no knowledge. Does that make sense? And so and that eventually will show itself. And that's kind of what that's like. The fool wants the degree, but he ain't going to do the work to get it. And so there's something going on here in this verse as we look at it. Wisdom is in the sight of him who has understanding, but in the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. So it's a beautiful verse when you begin to think about that contrast. In other words, listen, a man of understanding he actually uses wisdom like a good pair of reading glasses. Allows him to enjoy a good book or something like that and miss nothing. How many of you here wear reading glasses? Anybody here wear reading glasses? That's a lot of you. <laughs> Lisa wore uh, glasses and would often forget her glasses and I would have to run and get them for her so she could enjoy a movie that we were watching together or something like that. Listen, a man of understanding uh, the man of understanding is, is that way and that the, through the eyes of wisdom, listen, he learns to see what's right in front of him, missing nothing that's important or needful. Or he learns how to make the most of every moment. And as you look at this verse again, look at it with me. Wisdom is in the sight of him who has understanding. The person with understanding has humbled themselves, has become someone who can learn and who can gain knowledge through the things that are coming at them. Remember, the wisdom is the word of God is what we're talking about. So he's gaining the knowledge and the understanding of God and his word, and he's learning how to apply that in his life. And so this is the person who we would say has wisdom. And this is the thing that we need to grasp because the, the, the eyes of a fool can't see it because it's on the ends of the earth. He's looking beyond. I'll come back to that thought. Let me make it really practical for a moment. The Bible says in Psalm 16, verse 11, it says, you will show me the path of life. It's on the screen. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So currently for me, in, in where I'm at right now in life, and each person in this room is in a particular place, wherever it is that God has you doing, but for me, listen, I desire... The fullness of joy. And it says here in the, in the Bible, it says that he will show me the path of life and your presence is fullness of joy. Peter quotes this same verse in Acts chapter 2. We find that it's, it's David writing by the spirit, but he's writing the things concerning the Lord Jesus himself. 
Um, if you look at it in Acts chapter 2, you discover that. So these are the, this is coming from the very heart of the Lord himself who lived in the human flesh, yet in his divinity, but he lived here without sin, right? How many of you agree? Jesus had no sin. So if these are his thoughts, the thing that blows me away is, that I mean, wait a minute, the Bible says that in every way he was tempted yet without sin, and so we have this high priest who can sympathize with us. You know the Bible says that. So wait a minute. So then Jesus can sympathize. So I'm, I'm looking at this verse, and it's saying, Jesus is saying there's a fullness of joy and if you know me, if you've been here for any length of time, I take the Bible very seriously. If the Bible indicates in any way that there's the possibility of us obtaining the fullness of joy, then guess what? I can't settle for anything less than that because the Bible just said that I can experience the fullness of joy. And right now, I need my joy to be full because I know what it's like to have the joy of the Lord. And I need that again right now. I need that to consume me. I need that to be a place where I can rest. So if there is this fullness of joy, then I need it. But stay with me. Isaiah 26, 3 says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on you because he trusts in you. These are really good verses that we know and we might even memorize. How many of you have heard these verses before? Yeah, but it says a perfect peace. So if it's possible for me to have perfect peace, then I need to have that. I won't settle for anything less than that. You know, I can't, I'm, you know, you can't, why settle for anxiety? Why settle for depression? That's not where I'm at. But why settle for any of those things? Why settle for sorrow if there is the possibility of a perfect peace? So I desire the fullness of joy. I desire the perfect peace. So then if I desire a fullness of joy, I've got to learn how to get in the presence of the Lord because that's where the verse said you find it. And if I desire a perfect peace, well, I've got to learn how to keep my mind stayed on him because that's what this word says. That's where I find it. So this with understanding then because I have understanding and I need these things, I desire these things more than anything else. So then in humility before the Lord, I ask him for the fullness of joy. I ask him for perfect peace and check it out. And it's the Holy Spirit that he's given to me who now teaches me how to get into the presence of the Lord, how to keep my mind on him when there's pain and when there's sorrow that, that comes that I may begin to experience these things. And see, right now, this is where I'm at. I've experienced this perfect peace in the past, this fullness of joy in the past in other situations that I was in. So now I have to learn to do it all over again because that's the walk of the believer. That's discipleship. That's where that understanding that we're looking at in the verse kicks in. In other words, if you need these things, then you have to then, if you will, humble yourself before the Lord and become a learner and begin to seek these things from him until you get them. Because I refuse to move away from him until I have perfect peace, until I have a fullness of joy. Because there's nothing else in the world. you got to have that as a believer. Why would you not? If you believe in the Lord, why would you live without that which the scripture says that you can have when you need it? Because that's what this thing is really about. That's what walking with him and getting to know him is really about. That's discipleship. Amen. I'm not going to pass it up. I've got to have it. Lord, I'm going to stay right here and I'm going to bug you until you cause this thing to be my reality right here, right now. And see, here's the thing. This is why when we go back to the verse, look at the verse again. Well, wisdom is in the sight of him who has understanding. 
Well, because of understanding, because I humble myself, because I realize that the source of all of this is the Lord. It's not me, and I need it, and I got to stay with him, and I got to talk with him, and I got to keep my mind on him as I'm having a constant prayer. Prayer is like somebody, I think it was, uh, I was sharing with y'all on Wednesday night. We were somewhere. Um, my, my daughter's like, hey, you know, I was, I was just eating. She said, did you bless the food? Did you pray? Because that's what she does. She always reminds me. And I looked at her, and I said, I, 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 I don't remember when I wasn't praying right now. Like, it's a constant conversation right now. That's, that's the mind state on him. Like, you, when, there are times in your life when you have to never have a disconnect. Like, like if you think about, you remember the old rotary phones, you dial, you hold it, you hang up. It's almost like I never hang it up. I might set it down or something while I'm brushing, but then I pick it right back up. Well, then, now we got speakerphone. You know what I'm saying? So I just got the Lord on speaker. I, I, I do my work, and he's on speaker. We talking all day long because that's the only way I can survive. So, so did I bless the food? I'm sure I did. <laughs> At some point in the conversation, I did. So the, the point is then, okay, so he who has understanding is, is learning what, what it takes and what's necessary to have these things, and that's when you actually have wisdom. But see, the difference is the fool is like the person who wants to pay for the degree and never do the work. The fool wants to show up on Sunday and then check out and then check back in next Sunday, you know, want to have some religious experience but never wanting to realize that it's, it's, it's so much deeper than that. It's such a relationship that you must have, and that's real. And so the eyes of the fool are on the ends of the earth, always looking beyond, never able to see what's right in front of him. Because the reality is, listen to me very carefully, the reality is, is that the Lord is right in front of you, desiring to have relationship with you, desiring to, 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 to give you fullness of joy, to give you a perfect peace, to be uh, what you need in the moment that you need him, to be there for you, concerned about every little thing that you're going through. But, but sometimes we miss that because we're so focused on other things. It's just like the other day I saw this couple arguing. Um, it seemed that they were married. I don't know for sure, but they were having an argument, sound like a married couple's argument. And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking to myself, that what they argued about it was so stupid too. It was like dumb. Like what, what in the world? That doesn't matter. That argument has no meaning. And I'm thinking for the dude, I'm looking at her. I'm like, man, she just wants you to grab her in your arms and love her right now and just have a conversation. Y'all sitting over there arguing. They didn't know me. I, I wanted to just walk up on them, but I wasn't Pastor Kevin to them. <laughs> and, and I didn't know how that was going to go. The dude was real angry, and, and um, I'm like, I don't feel like, you know, getting into nothing with this big dude. So I'm like, you know, I just pray for him. Lord, help him. But it's stupid stuff. You know, look, look, look looking beyond when the reality, what's important, is right in front of you. The Lord Jesus is a very present help. The Lord Jesus has opened the veil for us to go in. The Lord Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Lord Jesus is there with you. He's not even there with you when you wake up and when you go to bed. He's the one that kept you awake so you could wake up, you know. And so... What are we looking for, y'all? The world has nothing. The Lord has everything. And so, wisdom is in the sight of him who has understanding. What's understanding? Understanding is this place of humility where I've come to realize that I need to learn of him 
the things that I need. You know, a book that I never really spent a lot of time in, Song of Solomon, the Shulamite girl, she says, his love is a, his, he's a banner of love over me, she said, somewhere in chapter two of, uh, and I thought about that, a banner of love. We are the beloved of the Lord. It's a banner of love. That's, that's what he is. And so we need, to, we need to understand that the Lord is there. The Lord desires you to draw close to him. Don't be so distracted by the things. Don't look beyond what he's trying to do in your life. He wants to do something in your life today. You worried about Friday. What about the Lord today? What about what he wants to do today? Verse 25. This is a simple one. We've seen it before. I won't spend time on it. But it just simply says, a foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. And of course, uh, Solomon the writer here through the Holy Spirit writing to his children, not realizing that for all these millennia, we would be gleaning from these things, um, obviously wants his children to get wisdom, to gain understanding. So that's why he put verse 25 in there, um, or that thought, I should say. There's no chapter and verse in original manuscripts. But what we understand that to mean then is that this is the desire of God that we come to church and we gain understanding that we actually learn to apply the word of God to our lives so that we can grow as disciples. Amen. You know, so much of the church today has been, uh, if you will, messed up because we get so used to being entertained, um, you know, with colorful thoughts and themes and stuff, sermonettes and all. The reality is we need to devour the word of God and then put it to practice in our lives so that we can learn, we can grow. And so Solomon says, hey, a foolish son is a grief to his father, a bitterness to, to the one who bore him. He doesn't want his children to be fools. My prayer that there are no fools in the room. Uh, we'll see as we continue. Verse 26, it says, also to punish the righteous is not good, nor to strike princes for their uprightness. In other words, these are the things that we see on earth because men are wicked. It's not good to punish the righteous. Not that anybody is righteous in and of themselves, but remember, we've been studying righteousness as it relates as an as a Old Testament con, uh, concept and a biblical concept. We're only righteous when we have faith in the, in the, in the plan of God, right? Y'all remember that? And remember what I told you. Um, in the Old Testament, the Bible says, like of Abraham, he believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Y'all remember that, right? Well, what did he believe about God? Well, he believed that God said from him, his seed, all the earth would be blessed. So he understood that God had a plan of redemption through a promised seed. The Bible in the New Testament, Galatians says that the gospel was actually preached to Abraham. So Abraham believed the gospel, even though he didn't have a full understanding of it the way we now do as New Testament believers. Y'all understand that? Okay, so whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, righteousness comes the same way by having faith in the work that God promised, which is through and has been fulfilled in the person, the promised seed, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right. So then when we think of righteousness, that's what we're thinking of because there is no one righteous outside of those who have put their faith in Christ. So we gain our righteousness through Christ. And so to punish the righteous is not good, nor to strike princes for uprightness. In other words, it's not right in the world to punish for no reason, those who are trying to be upright, but that's what happens in the world. Persecution is on the rise in the time we live in. Verse 27, though, I want to cover a few more. Verse 27 says, he who has knowledge spares his words, 
and a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. I like that. It's a very good, very good truth in there. Um, he who has knowledge spares his words. It's interesting. The one who has the most knowledge seems to talk less. The fool can't shut up. Because the person who's gained some knowledge and gained some understanding has matured in the Lord and he's learned to maybe be a little bit more of a calm disposition, to be a little bit resolute and to be able to then uh, through that knowledge of uh, observe and discern the things that are needful in the moment. And I, I want to say that because the Bible even says that we are to walk circumspectly, redeeming the time because the days are evil over in Ephesians. So there's a bit of responsibility that the believer has. The born again believer has a, a bit of responsibility to do that in whatever place God places you in this life. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Here, let me say it this way. You are going to go somewhere tomorrow and do something. How many of you going to do something tomorrow? <laughs> if your hand ain't up. I want you to tell me how you got to the place in life that you're in where you ain't got to do nothing. All right. So you're going to go somewhere and do something tomorrow. Is the time yours? No, we don't own it. We can't bring the sun up or cause it to set. We understand how it really works. But, yeah, we, we don't have power over any of it. We don't even understand how it works. Because God, he exists outside of this thing we call time. He created time so we could have points of reference to figure things out. <laughs> no, really. Um, remember New Jerusalem? We talked about it on Wednesday night. There's no night or day because the glory of the Lord is, is the light. You know, we'd be in his presence. We don't need none of that stuff anymore. That's, that's a now thing. Day and night is for this, this age that we live in, okay? So we can't, we can't, we have no control over anything. So that means that our whole life, our whole existence and the breath of life that's in your lungs right now is all given to you to bring glory to him. So then as believers, when we occupy a space time, we walk into an office, a shop, a lab, a classroom. We should be, if you will, those who have wisdom and understanding, being of a calm spirit, you know, and I'm going to challenge you to, to have fewer words this week until you've observed and discerned what's going on. And the way you do that is you, you prepare yourself. You walk into the place and you say, hey, Lord, you know, show me what I need to, to know about this situation, whether it's your office that you go to tomorrow. Lord, show me what's going on here. Pull the veil back a little bit so I can, I can see what it is that you would have for me to see. And you're going to be amazed that he's going to show you things in a different light. And even the person, the people that you don't like there, you're going to come to realize that you don't like them. They're the way they are because they're hurting and they're in pain and they have no hope. And then he's going to break your heart to begin to pray for them. And you're going to find yourself doing ministry that you, did, you didn't really want to do. But then he's going to compel you to do it because you took time to observe what's going on around you. Um, we get so focused on self a lot of times that we miss everything. But as we grow in the Lord, he's challenging us. And I'm, he's, I'm challenging you today to be of that mindset when you uh, go wherever it is you're going to go today. All right, I want to cover some ground. But in the flow of that, notice it says in verse 28, even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered to be perceptive. Now, he's not. He's a fool. But just by being quiet for a moment, people, people actually think, hmm, he looks wise. 
it's always the one who's not talking, who's observing that you, you realize. Like, you ever, everybody's yapping away and you look at that one person who's just observing things. That person looks smarter than everybody else. Like, this person, this is the one I'm going to ask because he, he's paying attention, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you're a fool, if you shut up for a moment, people will actually think that you're wise. And so they kind of basically, Solomon throws that in to kind of add a little bit of a, off to the previous statement, but this is the case. And as we go into this, skip ahead, 18.2, and I'll come back to 18.1. 18.2 flows with that in the sense of it says, a fool has no delight in understanding. This is why he's a fool or she's a fool, but in expressing his own heart. Now, we all know, and please do not say amen, because <laughs> I want you to have a good week. But we all do know people who... They just want to talk. They just want to get their words out. No delight in understanding. Okay. Now, pause that as I go back to verse 1 and I'll tie them together. Look at verse 1. Verse 1 says, a man who isolates himself, seeks his own desire, rages against all wise judgment. If you're reading this in the King James, it reads quite different, almost gives you an impression of it uh, meaning something else. Um, most of the, the para- I, I like to call them paraphrased versions of the Bible, or I, I should say the thought for thought translations, uh, say for instance, an NIV, uh, all of those, they all kind of lean this same way that the new King James is giving it to us because this is really the meaning. I think that Solomon intended, if you dig into the Hebrew in your own time, you come back to this very conclusion here. Um, that a man who isolates or you may see uh, divides or separates himself seeks his own desire. We all know what isolation is like when a person wants to get off to themselves, take themselves from the group. So in other words, what's happening here is, and I'm talking to believers, that the person who begins to isolate themselves is exposing the fact that they're in pride, in my opinion, because for some prideful reason, they actually want to then separate themselves off from the group. Now, as I'm talking to believers, what am I getting at? I'm getting at a mandate given to us by the Lord that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but we are to uh, exhort each other more and more as we see the day approaching. In other words, as believers, as we see the end times developing and, the, and, and it looks like the Lord is coming soon, not only are we not supposed to isolate ourselves, we're supposed to come together more frequently than we did before. Okay, that's what the scripture teaches us. Now, if that's the mandate of the Lord, then that means that as believers, we have a responsibility to fellowship. Fellowship's not an optional thing you do. And fellowship ain't watching the game. You can have fellowship while you watch a game. You know, we do activities um, a lot of times as, as a church to, you know, fun, but, but really it's to foster real fellowship. Now, what is fellowship? Well, in the Bible, fellowship, uh, the Greek word is koinonia. Most of you probably knew that. Koinonia means to have all things in common. Um, meaning, here's what it implies, meaning that there is a bit of intimacy taking place. And intimacy is a word that we, we, we don't use often in this way, but it means that we have all things in common, that we've truly become a part of one another. The concept from the Middle East is that 
when they would eat together, they would, you know, eating together, this is why Jews didn't like eating with Gentiles, eating together means that you were becoming a part of the person that you were spending time with. And the only time I've ever experienced this is when I went to an uh, um, uh, Ethiopian restaurant with a group of Ethiopians in Washington, D.C., and we sat, and they had to talk me through how to do the meal. And they bring all the food out. You, you, you can all order what you want, but then they bring it all out and sit it in the middle of the table, and they give you this bread, this flat bread, and you tear a piece off, and you dip, and you eat. But everybody shares what's the food. You see, everybody's dipping in each other's bowls is what I'm saying. And for an American, that was a difficult concept. I'm like, why are you reaching to my bowl? <laughs> no, 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 no. You can reach in it. It's, it's all, it's all, we share it all. I was like, really? Yeah. And so everybody's going in each other's bowl. And that's, you know, look, that means that some saliva from, for me, <laughs> went in the bowl and mixed with the saliva from the other person. And then, you know, that hangnail fell off in there. <laughs> Plus dead skin that, you know, we lose skin every day. I forget what it is. Your body recreates itself so many days, all your skin cells die and regen, you know, anyway. So dead skin cells are going in there. Um, and we're partaking of one another literally at this meal. And that's, a, that's what the Middle East is like. That's why Jesus says, if you open up, I will come in and I will dine with you. Jesus said, I'm going to become one with you. So meals are very intimate. So, so you know, Cornania, fellowship, that is what the body is actually called to do. And so when somebody isolates themselves away from that, it's because of pride. Therefore, they're going against the mandate of the Lord, so they're in sin. So if you're a Christian and you don't go to church, yeah, you're in sin. It's not because I want you to be here. I do, but that's not the point. It's because the Lord told you you're supposed to be in fellowship with the body. So, yes, you're in sin if you don't fellowship, not only are you in sin, you are missing out on a lot of the enjoyable part of Christianity because what happens when the body comes together is that just like your body, your human, your, it ministers to itself. Um, that's why if you cut yourself, your body sends cells to heal. Um, if, if you get an infection, your immune system kicks into gear and does what it needs to do. You know, over the last month, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, the, the, the Lord has used the body of Christ as the main part of how he has loved on my, me and my family. Um, and so that, that happens. And so when we come together, um, and we are together, there is a level of encouragement that you cannot get um, home watching uh, church online. Um, you know, I know that's a modern phenomenon, but it, it's not fellowship. Um, because you can, you know, when you isolate yourself, you can create your own reality. But when you come to fellowship, now you got an iron sharpening iron situation. Because at home, I can create my own belief system and reality, and I don't deal with the stuff I don't want to deal with. But in fellowship, somebody's going to tell me that, you know, no, that's wrong. And, and that's good. You're wrong, pastor. Thank you. Or you're wrong, sir. Thank you. Because, you know, we, we, we reason with one another. We challenge one another. And the Lord actually intends for that to happen to some degree in a respectful way, obviously. But he intends for that to happen is healthy for us to some degree. And so that happens when we're together. We need that. And not, not only that, look, 
the Bible, Paul describes the body of Christ as being a, a, a body with many members, um, but one body still. Okay, so that means that uh, we, we are more productive when we're together because we have all the parts. And he says that the Holy Spirit distributes to each one spiritual gifts, but those gifts are for the benefit of all. Now, don't get me wrong. Part of the role of the Holy Spirit in, in, in my life and your life is to individually bless us. Yes, absolutely. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is my teacher. He leads me into all truth. He comforts me. Amen. All of that is, is exactly right, and we understand that. Um, but then it says that we will, you know, he comforts us in all our tribulations that we may be able to comfort others in the same way in which we ourselves are comforted. So even the comfort we receive is to teach us how to comfort. So then if the gifts that are given to me are partially for me, but even more so for you, well, I can't use my gift for you if I isolate myself and stay home in pride because I don't want nobody to challenge me. And another thing, sin causes you to isolate yourself too because the condemnation of the enemy that comes makes you think that you don't want to go because they're looking at you a certain way. You know, probably we've all been through that to some degree. But that's all a ploy of the enemy to keep you cut off from the body. So when we come together, things happen. And I want to challenge you as God is challenging our church um, in some things that he's doing, I think, with us that when we come together, I want to challenge you to prepare to come together. Um, prepare to ask the Lord to say, Lord, here I am. I'm making myself available to the body. Lord, with whatever spiritual gifts you want to equip me with today, I'm willing to receive them and show me how to use them. Because I, I don't believe that, oh, you got one spiritual gift and that's your gift for life and you get to do what you want to do with it. I think that he, he, he equips us with what we need to get the, the ministry done that he's put before us, which we only find out when we come together and, and get involved. Um, and so when we come together, we should be prepared. You need to prepare yourself starting Friday because, you know, some of us need to marinate a little bit before, before we get here. We need some tenderizer before we show up, you know, <laughs> because I think that um, some of the things that might be missing sometimes is that the Lord wants to impress upon you a ministry opportunity that you need to be prepared for. Because the Bible says that, well, there are gifts of, of, of uh, words of wisdom. There are words of knowledge. There are prophecies. There are exhortations and mercy and helps and all of these things. Um, and, and maybe the Lord presses upon you that something that you need to go over and lay upon somebody else to say with them that, hey, I feel like the Lord is, is telling me this and you're scared to do it and, and whatnot. And you need to allow the Lord to work on you so that you will be prepared and able to actually do that. Um, last week, Calvary Chapel, Orlando, blessed beyond measure. I got two brothers there in the Lord. Um, one is Frank. I think Frank's from Trinidad somewhere, the dude's tall. I mean, just a blessed brother. And there was this other dude, check this out. I met this dude in the lobby. He was waiting for his wife to finish in the children's ministry. His name was Kevin. He has a degree in finance and he works at a bank. Some of those of y'all who know me know that's funny, all right? So um, this white guy named Kevin. So Kevin's talking to me. He is noticeably uncomfortable. And I, I think that God made him come talk to me and he didn't want to. And we had just this wonderful conversation. That's my brother and the Lord. Just because, you know, hey, here I am in the lobby getting some coffee. And it was nice to have a conversation that was just fellowship and the Lord. 
And this dude was, but yeah, I appreciate him for, for fighting through the temptation to not come have the conversation. So, so check it out. There are elders, there are deacons, there are pastors. There are all of these people who are in leadership at a church. My experience at a church I'd never been to before was an usher named Frank and a dude waiting on his wife named Kevin, who I may not ever see again until we get to heaven. But on that particular Sunday, God gave, I met the pastor, I did. And, you know, we had a chance to, but, you know, he's a pastor. He has a lot of people trying to talk to him. So, you know, I know how that goes. <laughs> hey, he wasn't there to minister to me. He had a congregation he was supposed to minister to. I didn't need that. I, but, but just some dude named Kevin that won't nobody else talking to, no way. He's the one God used to talk to me. So as our congregation goes, I, I've got to come in for landing. We have to, we have a responsibility, first of all, a mandate from the Lord to check in at church. It ain't, you ain't got to be upset with Pastor Kevin. You can be if you like. Ain't going to bother me. All right. I'm, I'm going to be fine. But you can't have fellowship at home on the couch. And I'm, I don't mean this for the people watching online. I'm not trying to hurt them. I don't mean any offense or anything. I know if you're in another country, another state, whatever, I encourage you to find a local church where you are. But, but we are mandated to be in each other's lives. So therefore, we need to prepare to do that by checking your feelings and your selfishness and your own stuff and saying, Lord, I'm going into the one place on earth that is the most important. It ain't Congress. It ain't the UN. All of those places, those aren't the important places. You see, because why do I say that? Well, because if the, if the, if the Lord decided to rapture the church right now, it's the Christians who go up to meet him in the air, not the UN. The most important place on earth is where the body of believers gather. Those who are filled with the spirit of God. That's the most important place on earth. So therefore, if we're going, if you're going to go to that place, then you should start saying, Lord, prepare me to go to that place. Lord, help, help prepare my heart for what I need to receive. But Lord, here, I'm also available for you to gift me for what I may need to do to pour into somebody else's life. You know, um, prepare, prepare me, Lord, to hear what you may exhort me through someone else. Or Lord, if you give me a word, give me the boldness to share it with the person I need to share it with. Or if I just need to pray for them or if I just need to encourage them, um, Lord, or if I need to pray for their healing, um, Lord God, or whatever the case may be. Or if I see that there's more needs than there are people that have shown up to serve that day, Lord, then help me to then raise my hand and say, listen, um, you know, what can I do today? Whatever the case may be, we need to understand that there is a responsibility given to the disciple of Christ to be a part of the body of Christ, an active participant in the body of Christ. That's the responsibility. So he who isolates himself seeks his own desire, his own will. He rages against all wise judgment. He's, he's in, uh, if you will, he's isolated himself and gone against the will of God concerning his life for his life individually as well as for the body. And so when we think about these things, I hope that you've been challenged today in good ways as I've been challenged today in good ways as well. Um, I tell you this, that uh, I enjoy being a part of what God is doing here. I enjoy uh, being a part of your lives to the extent that I can be as a lot of you and all that kind of stuff because it's important. Is extremely important. All right, so y'all have dinners with each other this week. 
get to meet some people, exchange some numbers, invite each other over. If you don't have the, good, the gift of cooking, don't cook. Um, <laughs> let those who do cook. If maybe you can clean, I'm just saying, I mean, but, but everybody can do something and every meal can be great is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so let's pray. We've got to close, y'all. We're over time. We've got to rescue the teachers in the children's ministry. So, Father, we do thank you, Lord God, for allowing us to be here today. Lord, I pray that you would use the things that we continue to see in the book of Proverbs, Lord, to, uh, Lord, to humble us, Lord, to teach us, to equip us. I pray that you would go before each person, each family represented here, each individual this week. Go before, Lord God. Cover our rear, Lord God. Give us wisdom and discernment for every situation, Lord protection, Lord, I pray for every home. Your favor would be upon our lives, I pray, Lord God. I pray for mercy. I pray for grace. Lord God, I pray that you would uh, I pray that you would convict us of sin. That you would rid our homes, Lord, of anything that is unhealthy and not of you, Lord God. In the times we live in, Lord, we, we don't need those things, Lord. Pray, I pray for every person here, Lord. I pray that uh, you convict even someone right now, Lord, they know of the things that they do, the things that they do in secret, Lord. Uh, Lord, let them know right now that you see it and you care and you, you will receive them if they would simply repent of those things, Lord God. You will cleanse them. I pray you would uh, keep the enemy far away from us, Lord God. Lord, that we would we would recognize what's right in front of us, the moment that you've given us. Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing.